Hi, I'm Mark Reed. Follow me as I attempt to put my new book, Impact Culture, into practice and discuss it with others taking a similar journey. You'll get tips that will help you achieve more impact from your research and stay healthy, no matter how busy you are. Rediscover your purpose. Lead from behind to empower those around you. Transform your work culture. Welcome to Season 4 of the Fast Track Impact Podcast. So this week I am privileged to have with me on the podcast my wife, Joyce Reed, who is a former hospital doctor and managing director of Fast Track Impact, turned health coach who is now doing health resilience training and coaching through the business. Uh, in this episode, I want to think with Joyce and you about how we can all become significantly more resilient. We're talking about mental health resilience, physical health resilience, just getting those pauses back in our day-to-day, -day, in our week-to-week -week, that enable us to feel like we're not just running out of control and constantly running from one stress stressful situation to the next. Uh, and uh, to, to do this, I want to have a look at uh, some of Joyce's experiences, my own experiences, uh, also some of the things that Joyce has been learning as she's been working around the world, training and working with academics and hearing their experiences. And of course, we can't talk about something like this without thinking about the pandemic and the impact that that has had on all of our work habits. Uh, so... Like you, like the, the, the majority of us, uh, I have spent a significant amount of time working at home. Uh, and I'm feeling like uh, after a couple of years of this, I'm maybe getting to, to grips with how to do this in a way which is healthy and resilient. Uh, and just at that point, of course, we're now all thinking about whether we need to go back to doing this all face to face and what that actually means for us. Or maybe a bit of both, which is even harder to get our head around. Uh, for me, in that very first lockdown, it was my mental health that really suffered. Uh, and I spent a lot of time digging myself out of that hole in order to be physically and emotionally present both at work and at home. Uh, and like many of you, I, I also struggled with my own fitness. I was no longer running for trains and planes. Um, never quite got into the habit of being on time. Uh, but it was handy for my fitness. <laughs> uh, but without that, yeah, I'm actually sitting for days at a time doing nothing. How can I begin to build this stuff in when I'm just naturally not very self-disciplined about, uh, about, uh, about exercise? Uh, so uh, the challenge that we all face is how can we thread through our lives the practices that will enable us to be mentally and physically resilient, no matter what life might throw at us. Who knows what's going to come next uh, with this pandemic, the next pandemic, uh, or whatever that transition back to in-person teaching and the like of it is going to throw at us. How can we make sure that uh, we've got practices, habits, things threaded through that are going to keep us healthy? and resilient. So Joyce, I'm going to start, if it's okay, asking you to tell us a little bit about your journey. So introduce yourself so people can get to know you, because this is not going to be the last time that you'll be contributing to the podcast. I'm looking forward to going into lots of other things with you. 
Um, and I want to hear just uh, that journey from being a hospital doctor all the way through to now being a health coach and some of the lessons that you learned personally that you're now imparting to others through your professional practice. Sure, thanks Mark, and it is an absolute privilege and pleasure to be on the Fast Track Impact podcast, and thank you all for listening, and thank you for having me Mark. No problem. Um, this is a bit of a cool moment actually, the pair of us being on here together. Um, we have so, uh, discussed it for many years and it's never have, quite happened. So. and now it has happened, which mm. is very exciting indeed. <laughs> Um, in order to answer your question, though, um, as you well know, I spent uh, 12 years of my life working as an NHS doctor and it was a complete privilege to do so. However, throughout that process, I really started to feel... First of all, that the system was under a lot of pressure, as is now very much in the mainstream media. Um, but at the time when I was working there, kind of six and a bit years ago, it wasn't quite as well recognised um, by the general population how much pressure we were under and how challenged the system was. So because of that, quite a lot of us um, were suffering from partial or full burnout, compassion fatigue, um, physical and mental health problems because of the pressures of the job. And finally, after 12 years of working in an intensive hospital environment, I did suffer mental and physical burnout myself took the tough decision at the time to leave completely because I felt quite strongly that I was then incapable of caring for my patients because I just wasn't well enough um, to do so. Uh, from that point, I then uh, became managing director of Fast Track Impact, which was a job that I could do from home. Um, and I flexed that around my family life and my recovery. And this started to open real, opened my eyes really to the the life-giving quality of being able to flex your work around your life and integrating the two. Now I do realise that being in academia we are, you know, some of us are more privileged in that area than others. Um, and, and, but I would say that I've now come to realise that um, really sacrificing yourself and your self-care is always a short-term solution. That actually, if you want to continue having a productive, meaningful approach to your work, then sacrificing you for the sake of that is never going to go well in the long run. There will be something that crops up that, um, that really affects your mental health, your physical health, or simply you just don't enjoy your job anymore. Um, and that's perhaps hard hitting to hear, but from my experience now working as a health coach with clients and from my own personal experience and also watching Mark's journey, I think that um, empirically I would say that that is, is often the case. Yeah, so when I, I sat and watched this firsthand and, and, and you pushed through and 
And I think you never fell out of love with your job, um, but at the same time, when you ultimately left, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you were in a bit of a state, weren't you? Mm -hmm. And it gives a sense of where you were at that point and just what a shift you've managed to make in those intervening period, the intervening years since leaving. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy to speak about burnout and all its symptoms um, and all its and personally how that felt, but I will try to encapsulate it. <laughs> I felt absolutely empty and completely physically exhausted, deeply to, to a deep, deep level. I, I just couldn't find the energy to get my legs out the side of the bed some days. Everything ached. I had developed this chronic pure immunity, so I just caught all infections under the sun. I just was never well. And I'd actually been in that process in the last couple of years of my career, but just kept pushing through because I never wanted to let my team down by actually being unwell, actually giving myself time to recover, to the point where I just was letting them down because, you know, I was off sick because I actually couldn't get out of my bed. I was so unwell with a chest infection or, you know, a, a sickness bug or whatever it was that I'd picked up on the ward. Um, you know, and I think I really had to take a long, dark look inside myself and, 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 and see that I was of no use because I had sacrificed my own self-care for such a lot of years. And really that was the environment that we were in. You know, it was cultural. Everybody was doing it. There was very little narrative about self-care. We all had to push through our emotions, our mental state, our physical state in order to keep on doing the job. And fascinatingly, since I've worked with Fast Track Impacts, I've read a lot of the research around um, health and well-being, physically and mentally, and actually a lot of the same challenges in the culture exist within academia too. Um, and that's sad for me to see that. Mm -hmm. However, it is not insurmountable. And I think it is really heartening to me to have come full circle in this process, have really found a sustainable, health-giving way of living myself. Um, people reached out to us, didn't they, in the mm -hmm. pandemic, from the academy asking for health and well-being training. And then we realised that we could provide that if I actually just did some training in coaching, I discovered this field of health coaching and then developed the Health Resilient Researcher Training, which I am now um, bringing to universities across the globe. Mm. And people are telling me their stories. And this is sadly all too common that people are working to the detriment of their own self-care and it's having detrimental effects on their health and well-being, physical health, mental health included in that, and also how they approach their work. Mm. So this is a very important and up-to-date topical thing to be really bringing to this podcast. Yeah, so I'm wondering, there could be people who are listening who are kind of feeling a, a sense of resonance with your story and thinking, yeah, that's how I feel at the moment, and asking themselves, huh, maybe I'm burned out. What are the kind of diagnostic criteria or the things that you would say that, yeah, you tick these boxes and probably, yeah, I am burned out? So first of all, Mark, uh, it's important to note here that burnout in the diagnostic criteria, and we're talking just the actual 
clinical diagnostic criteria that we would use in conventional medicine. Burnout is something that is specifically applied to work-related stress and anxiety. However, I think it's really important, since you've brought up the pandemic, it is important to really put burnout in context. As we have lived through a pandemic, most of us are living in a much more heightened state of anxiety than we were two years ago purely because of the constant notifications of changing circumstances, we don't quite know what we're dealing with most of the time, we're facing a viral insult that we cannot see or control very easily at all, this is putting us into a state of stress, into the sympathetic state, much more than we would normally live in at the best of times. So if you kind of put that in context, that if there are symptoms of burnout, they are going to be amplified by living through a pandemic. So I just wanted to contextualise this with that point since you brought it up yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, totally. However, let's get back to the point. And the three kind of key features of burnout are, first of all, is a feeling of real exhaustion. Now, this is more than just feeling tired after a busy weekend or, a, you know, a month of busy work. This is like a bone-tired, absolute exhaustion, no energy. You feel like whatever you do, you can't get energy. You're reaching for more and more coffee, chocolate, quick-fix stuff to try and boost your energy and you're getting nowhere. It's just, you know, you can't shift this. Secondly... It would be the feelings of mental distance from your work and just a negative, cynical feeling that what you're doing is just making no difference. There's something wrong. That kind of negative cynicism. Yeah, it just all feels pointless. It all feels pointless, yeah. absolutely. And thirdly, a sense of your own ineffectiveness. You feel ineffective. You feel like you're not accomplishing anything. You f probably feel overwhelming there, um, and just this sense that you, however much you work, you're just stuck in the mud. Your feet feel like they're wading through tar, and you can get nowhere. You can't accomplish anything, and it's like the the task list gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you just can't get through mm. it. That kind of ineffectiveness feeling. Mm. So if that resonates with anybody, which I'm fairly sure it will, because an awful lot of us are feeling like that at the moment, then you can go, I've got my own podcast about stress and burnout, which is on the Fast Track Impact blog feed that you can go and look at. Yeah, I'll put a link to that uh, blog with um, with much more into the show notes. Yeah, because I think there are lots of, lots of little things that you can do that will help you to start to alleviate that. And it's really important not to bury it. If If this resonates with you, please act now. It is worth it. Yeah, so if that is you then, great. You can go and have a look and go into much more depth on that blog and in the other podcast episode that you can hear on this via the blog. But uh, as some of us 
uh, it, it's just, it, it's a more insidious kind of thing. Um, it's not quite as bad as burnout, at least not yet. Uh, but uh, but that's, that, that sense of vulnerability uh, that we have to our circumstances, kind of yo-yoing up and down. Um, and great, I've set aside a day to write, but I just can't actually manage to pick myself and write today because of how I'm feeling emotionally um, or because I'm constantly getting sick um, and all these kind of things. What are some of the things that, that you did on your journey to recovery from burnout, uh, but also some of the things that you recommend to academics who come on your courses or that you coach, who are just feeling that sense of, yeah, everything's a bit overwhelming and I need to do something to kind of survive and get a sense of, of my joy back in what I do and, and a sense of purpose and, and all that kind of stuff. What are some of the things that, that seem to be working most for the kind of people you're working with? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question, Mark. And I think actually the way I would answer it is to say that there seems to be a theme emerging from the academics that I'm working with, whether that be in a group setting through the Health Resilient Researcher or individually as health coach and clients, there seems to be this lack of permission to look after yourself. And what I would say there is, digging slightly under the surface there, is that there also seems to be a lack of self-compassion. Um, my next blog is about self-compassion. I've dug into most recent research and it's, it's fascinating. But we seem to culturally be living in quite a perfectionistic, blame-driven, productivity-heavy environment in academia. And yeah, sometimes you just need to cut yourself a bit of slack and and it's acceptable to not view yourself as a machine and actually just look after yourself. And I think that narrative needs to be brought out into the open and that would say is my kind of top theme. But just digging into that though, I mean, you must talk to people who get that, like, yeah, of course, I know it's important to look after mm -hmm. myself. I just don't have time for crying out loud. You know, it seems to, you're talking, it's not a, a practical technique that you're talking about here. It seems like a deeper journey. Yeah. How, how do you take people on that kind of journey to actually look after themselves, despite the fact that they have no time? Yeah, it can be really simple to start doing this because I get it. I mean, having no time is something that I have lived through and... Again, I would say that it, it doesn't do well to ignore that in the long term. If you are feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling like you're chasing your tail throughout the day, that you just want a pause, you can actually make that happen for yourself. It's a choice. And actually, it doesn't take much either. I mean, really, up to a minute in between each meeting can be a really big start to just go device-free for that moment, slow your breathing down and do some breath work, and you, after the end of a day, you'll even feel like, gosh, I don't feel quite as hashed today. I don't feel quite as busy and like I haven't had a chance to catch my own thoughts. So it's about taking that moment in between, literally one minute, try it with one minute in between each meeting and just see if that makes you feel like you've actually taken a breath throughout the day. And one of the things you recommended to me, which I really loved, is the idea of an exercise snack. Um, yes. Because 
I, I'm quite bad at being disciplined of like, yeah, yeah, one minute. And, uh, and I can see the time slipping pie and then it's like, oh my goodness, I'm now late for the next beating and away it goes. <laughs> Um, and so, um, so, so in that kind of scenario, I quite often will say, well, if I can, let's take this next meeting on my phone and walk at the same time. But ideally, I'm making time to make myself a cup of tea before the next meeting. And while the kettle is boiling, all it takes is to just go and walk around the garden, mm -hmm. maybe even a couple of times and just device three just in that nature pause. if possible yeah, yeah that taking the a pause yeah. absolutely and you might find then that your perception of time changes mm. that actually you feel as if you've had more time in your day and all you've done is sacrificed maybe less than 10 minutes throughout the course of the day in between meetings and it's really worth trying that the other thing that i think is really important to note is how much we live in our heads in the academic world. Actually, in the Western world, perhaps, full stop. But w w these feelings of overwhelm or physical feelings of backache, shoulder pain, that's all telling you something. It's telling you to move or look after yourself or actually take a break you know and, and and i think because we're stuck in the intellect an awful lot of the time we try really hard or don't even have to try actually because we're not noticing these subtle signs that the body is giving us and really the example i use in the health resilient researchers from my own life here that I suffered for a long time from irritable bowel syndrome and I just ignored it. I was just like, oh, you know, whatever, just ignore it, keep on going. And in the end, now that I've studied a little bit of naturopathic medicine and understand more about the gut microbiome, if I'd listened to that irritable bowel syndrome, which was my body trying to say to me, Joyce, you're stressed, you're stressed, you're stressed, will you listen? I would then have recognised that I was destroying my own microbiome and I had to recultivate it in order to stave off that longer term burnout that I ended up with having chronic pure immunity because my microbiome was completely destroyed and yeah, I may well have staved off a lot of the things that I then had to suffer from in order to learn the lesson. Um, but yeah, it's it's things like that. Listen to those symptoms that your body is bringing for you forward, because actually they're giving you information. And this is what I try to teach my clients. Um, it's what I try to help them to see in their own lives is that they can be the orchestrators of their own health and well-being. It doesn't have to be um, ignore all your symptoms until you crash and burn. Mm -hmm actually your symptoms are trying to tell you something mm. and it's worthwhile listening to them. It seems that the, there's a, a kind of a deeper lesson in this which is about self-respect. Yes. That, yeah, yeah, I feel like I can't stop because I've got to look after my job, my family, all these other people who need me and I'm just spread too thin but actually you need yourself and you need to look after yourself mm -hmm. as the source of all of that stuff and, and i think that's where the self-compassion comes in i mean you yeah. know incredible researchers like kristen neff and brenny brown and folk who have looked at self-compassion it just takes a mindset change and to actually use the self-compassion technique and it makes a huge difference to given then you would give yourself permission to look after yourself yeah yeah, absolutely. 
So one of the things that, that I've benefited from as I've worked with you on this journey, so trying to absorb all this stuff, getting into the weird and wonderful world of sauerkraut. So. Yeah, <laughs> like, awesome stuff. Is <laughs> uh, is just how important it, it is to take more interest in your surroundings. Um, so whether that's taking cues from your body, uh, that sense of kind of that gut feeling, that, yeah. that that kind of sigh as you get back to your work, uh, or just the things that people are telling you uh, around you. Mark, you're dropping the ball constantly. <laughs> um, that's the third time this week you've forgotten something. Uh, usually you telling me that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but, but just to, to listen to these cues, and I think that there's this slowing down and there's this whole kind of movement of the slow whatever it is and one book that I'd recommend is The Slow Professor yeah. um, uh, in this vein and, um, and despite its uh, misleading title The Productive Researcher um, my last book is very much about trying to, uh, to slow down and um, become more productive by actually working less but what are some of the things that that you are finding are helping your clients to actually manage to slow down? Um, so we've talked about some kind of more deeper things um, on the level of self compassion. But what kind of practical examples or practices or techniques can you suggest that can just help us to slow down so that we can take in that information and be a bit more curious so that we can then lead ourselves along a journey to better health and more resilience mm -hmm. i mean i think uh, self-compassion work is top of the list i do that with a lot of my clients if they feel led down that direction and it really works it really helps but deeper than that um even doing moments of breath work, like true breath work, so really focusing on abdominal breathing, making sure that you're bringing that into your day, morning and evening, or whenever you can in between meetings, having a pause in between meetings where you do a bit of breath work or a little bit of exercise, some stretching, go for a walk in nature. Um, something else that I talk about often is early morning sun and just making sure you get up, get some sunlight, get into nature um, first thing in the morning to just reset that body clock. Something else that people really seem to be benefiting from is work on sleep and that quite often is tackling underlying issues with anxiety um, and people pleasing, you know, just giving themselves permission to switch devices off in the evening so that it doesn't impact on your sleep and once you're well slept you're less emotionally reactive you're more able to make decisions and um, you're more able to have that mental focus that you need to bring to your day job and um, so really sleep would be key another thing which i think is really important to remember is how interconnected our physical health and mental health are so don't scrimp on moving around every day and the other thing i talk to academics a lot about is scrapping this idea of exercise it's a fairly intimidating word most folk are you know really not keen on putting exercise into their day but actually if you just move around more and make that part of your work day then that is going to be really beneficial for your mental health and your work related focus too and I think that 
brings up an, another area that is worth talking about is this transition back to the office which you spoke about in the beginning of the interview that there seems to be a split in the way that people are viewing this as it's you know rapidly coming to us hopefully this year we're going to be coming out of the pandemic but that brings with us its own things that perhaps create anxiety and overwhelm and some people have developed um, self-care tools that are around working from home and that's really working for them and now they're concerned about going back into the office and having the burden of all of those meetings and you know back-to-back things and for others it is the complete opposite they are really looking forward to getting back to the office so that they can get their walk between meetings or catch up with colleagues so I think it is worth really looking at what the pandemic has brought forth for your own personal health and well-being and really starting to look at how you're going to transition that into how we're going to come out of this um because we can make the choice to find the positives here and look at what we've learned through pandemic working and i know there's been a lot of negatives and i absolutely acknowledge those however it's also worth intentionally looking at those positives too yeah so you're taking us back to where we started with this idea about transitioning back into in-person and I think a lot of us as we're going there in our heads are thinking about the kind of culture that we're going back into is this something that I'm looking forward to I've missed the richness of the culture that I used to have in person or is this something that actually I feel a faint sense of dread or maybe a very distinct sense of dread depending on the nature of the culture you're going back into and uh, we've obviously been thinking about impact culture all the way through this um, season of the, the podcast. Uh, and for me, compassion is at the heart of a healthy impact culture, which is why your emphasis on compassion in terms of how we become more healthy and resilient to all of the challenges that we face in our work environment is so relevant, I think, to this whole idea of creating mm-hmm. a, more, a more healthy impact culture. I think there's some practical things um, that we can think about. Um, So in the book, you'll be able to read some of those ideas uh, around how we retain uh, flexibility for colleagues who don't have to be back in 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 the office, who want to continue working from home and retaining that flexibility so we can combine... Uh, the best of working from home with being back in the office. Thinking about uh, some really simple rules around uh, how and when we use email uh, out of hours, for example, and setting some good examples, especially if we are more senior. Uh, The meeting times and when we have meetings so we can get a lunch break, for example. Uh, Little things like that can go a long way to just creating a slightly more compassionate culture. Uh, I've also been threading through this uh, season of the uh, podcast stuff that I'm thinking about with the new centre that I'm leading at SRUC and so uh, we're going to be doing compassion training and in fact there's going to be some compassion training coming up free uh, as part of the year's worth of events that uh, we're planning off the back of the launch of the book so uh, keep tuned to to hear more about that I'll be uh, interviewing the trainer in fact for the podcast Uh, you can learn skills in being compassionate you can diagnose how compassionate your culture is and work out the things that you might want to try and fix in that. 
um, uh, a lot of the, the, the literature on this um, talks about mindfulness exercises and things like that. But uh, one thing that I quite liked um, is, is groups who have tried uh, an act of kindness challenge. And uh, you go out and you try and do something on purpose, which is kind. And you come back um, and you share the things that you've done. Uh, but uh, crucially, one of those things has to be completely secret that you tell nobody. So it doesn't just turn into an exercise of, look at me, I'm kinder than everyone else. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, failure presentations. So um, uh, one of the, 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 the issues, I think, is this, this uh, a sense of a fear of failure, but also a sense that we only hear about everyone else's successes, and so we assume that everyone else is constantly successful, and it's only me who ever fa fails. Uh, and so uh, we're going to be running a, a seminar series which will be about learning from failure uh, and we'll focus on things where people learned a lesson for it or managed to turn it around or, or did something so there's a, a bit of a, a kind of oh, something which is constructive to take from this but actually partly what we're trying to do with that is just to normalize the idea that you know what life sucks we all have things that go wrong and there's always something we can learn from yeah, all of that kind definitely. of stuff so loads of practical things I think we can do to create a, a more compassionate culture that means that when we go back we're getting less of the, the kind of the stressors that we're experiencing and feeling more of that sense of community that we're all in this together mm -hmm. and we have all been through this experience of the pandemic and whatever the fears that you have or the hopes of going back to work or staying at home to, to work, uh, there are other people out there who are having that experience. And that is one of the first steps towards self-compassion, realizing you're not alone. This is actually an experience. Whatever that suffering or concern or worry you have is a, a, an experience which is common to others, to many others. In fact, suffering by definition is common to all humanity absolutely. and has always been. Yeah, definitely, Mark. I mean, absolutely agree and I think just on a practical level what people could think about doing conceptually from a self-compassion point of view as you move into this new opening up phase that we're going into maybe going back to office maybe going to a hybrid working situation partly online partly at home is remember that you cannot work well without you and if you timetable yourself out of your life by not looking after yourself, then very soon after that, you're not going to be there at all. And, and that's a problem for your research, for your department, for your family. And actually just remember that self-care isn't indulgent, it is necessary. And your everything will suffer if you don't look after yourself. It's actually brave and strong to practice self-care. And if you do it, then you can actually bring that narrative and that modelling to other people in your life. And that's one thing that I really want to see. If we can all start talking about health and well-being and how important it is to lace this through a healthy impact culture, research culture, uh, research impact and research full stop, then we can go a long way to actually having a grassroots approach to changing impact culture for the better. Yeah, we are all in this together we and are. we are stronger when together. we actually yeah, talk we, about these things. We talk about yeah. it, we can change the narrative that way and there's power in conversations. Yeah, there really is. 
So I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you've taken something from it. Uh, go and uh, take an exercise snack. Uh, I'm going to yeah. do that. I'm going to grab a cup of tea and have a walk around my garden. Uh, look at the sky, the sky, listen to the birds. Just spend a moment device free remembering why you're doing what you're doing. And you're going to do it a hell of a lot better. So enjoy. Thank you, Joyce. It's Thank been a pleasure. You. And I'm looking forward to having you back on and diving into some of these other issues in more depth. Can't wait either. Fantastic. Thanks, Mark. Mm -hmm.